0: This episode of The Outside Podcast is brought to you by Avocado Green Mattress, makers of the 100% organic certified avocado mattress. And maybe, like me, you've never really thought about what exactly goes into the piece of furniture you put inches from your face for hours every night. I have to admit, I never thought that a a mattress could have potential, let's say, negative health effects.
1: Well, you know, so many mattresses are made with petroleum-based polyurethane foam. And then they're put together with all sorts of chemical adhesives.
0: This is Mark Abriel, one of the founders of Avocado Green Mattress. Those chemicals, Mark says, are very prone to emitting volatile organic compounds, or VOCs. VOCs,
1: Which people know as off-gassing. And they can cause all sorts of health issues, everything from irritations to asthmas to more serious issues.
0: Which is why Avocado decided to do things differently. Not only producing 100% organic mattress, but creating a sustainable, socially responsible product by introducing the idea of farm-to-bedroom.
1: The idea of farm-to-bedroom is that we control the process from start to finish. So we use latex in our mattress, and so by actually owning the plantations and owning the facility that processes the latex, we can control it from where it's actually grown and harvested and processed all the way through to the end product, which would be our our finished mattress.
0: And it's not just the latex. They even have their own sheep herds to harvest wool. Uh,
1: I mean, people wouldn't think about it, but our mattress is actually an organic certified product, Um, just like something that you might find at Whole Foods.
0: So if you want to feel as good sleeping as you do eating an organic garden salad, don't forget the avocado mattress. See what I did there? Visit avocadogreenmattress.com to learn more. And to save $175 on any mattress, use the code OUTSIDE175 at checkout. That's OUTSIDE175.
2: From Outside Magazine and PRX, this is the Outside Podcast. If reality TV has been on any kind of mission the last 20 years, you can make a pretty good case that that mission has been to keep us from taking it seriously.
0: Austin and the Lizes were going to be a target of mine regardless. It is. Just I mean, more if a
2: show isn't blatantly have. artificial in its setup, Everybody like Big Brother, well. it's probably going to come out that the producers go easy on the contestants or host, like Man vs. Wild. On Bear grills. I'm gonna show you what it
0: takes to get out alive from some of the most dangerous places on earth
2: In college, I had a friend go on a reality show where an unpopular kid meets up with a supposed stranger Who gives them a makeover and teaches them how to be popular
3: Have you ever passed someone on the street and wished you could have that person's life?
2: That stranger, in reality, was her best friend My
3: friends call me clown
2: Now, none of this is really a problem because reality TV is not documentary TV It can bend the definition of reality because the only rules it's beholden to are the ones that get it more viewers. In the business, they don't even say a reality. They call it unscripted. I think because making TV is logistically hard enough that you have to bend the rules, or it wouldn't be interesting to watch. But then I heard about a new show on the History Channel called Kings of Pain in which hosts Adam Thorne and caveman Rob Oliva attempt to catalog the experience of the various bites and stings that insects, reptiles, and arachnids can dish out. They were picking up the work of entomologist Justin Schmidt, who was actually profiled an Outside back in the 90s, and had written a book about how he developed the original pain scale for stinging insects. The hosts were following in his footsteps, getting bit and stung on camera okay, for science yeah, he's ready to go. and viewers like you. So here was a reality show that was so dead simple in its concept that it didn't have to be faked. The pain was the point. Like if the show Jackass had just no sense of humor. I had so many questions. And the History Channel was happy to connect me with caveman Rob You know, and the show, you're, you're caveman... Um, do you want me to refer you to that way? Or how, what do you prefer? Yeah,
3: yeah. As silly as that sounds to me, I think it's a good way for people to remember me. <laughs> you know okay. What I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Is there, a, is there a story behind the nickname? Yeah, I just, um, I do a lot of uh, hand fishing. I don't have the patience for a rod and reel and things like that. So I started catching fish by hand and they're like, you, you're a freaking caveman. And it just uh, stuck. So. <laughs>
2: uh when you say hand fishing you mean like like sticking your hand in the water wiggling your fingers that kind of thing
3: yeah yeah i'm from oklahoma where noodling was always a big big tradition and uh i never did it there and i moved out to california and i saw this big like uh not a stingray but a giant ray and i just jumped on it and i picked it up and like looked at it in the eyes and let it go and i was like dude i'm hooked i was starting to hit home we're actually here I always love entering rainforests. The
2: show starts out in Bolivia, with our hosts heading upriver on a barge. Drone shots of the jungle, big music, and a teaser for what comes later, involving the largest species of spider in the world. The Goliath bird eating tarantula. This is an arachnid with fangs so big, it can take down birds and even mammals. The format of the show is simple the guys pick a species, go find it in its natural habitat. Then gather back at camp to be bitten or stung on camera. The goal is to develop a more comprehensive pain index, with more animals being rated in greater detail. They're not really kings, but connoisseurs of pain. So, what made them qualified to do this?
3: Yeah, it's definitely a weird career path, but uh, I've enjoyed it. Um, yeah, definitely. This this probably goes back to where, you know, to when I was a kid, and I found out the same thing from Adam. We were kind of kindred spirits. On the other side of the world, he's from Australia, and we kind of had the same childhood, just on completely different parts of the world, running around, you know, catching animals and things like that. And, of course, sometimes when you do that, you get bitten in the stung. And I think I took some pride as a little kid, being being the kid with the crawfish dangling from his finger or the snake uh, attached to my arm and just looking at my friends like, like what? Like, not a big deal, <laughs> you know? Uh. Um Never, never, never thought that would, you know, be any more than that. Um, and then I moved uh, out to L.A., I think it was 2006 or seven, and uh, I got a job at a reptile store. And they're like, okay, we like you, you've passed the interview, but we have one test. And I was like, okay, what's this test? And they reached into this aquarium and they pull out the biggest toke gecko that they had. And these are like, I think the second biggest gecko on the planet, so... You know, they got jaws on them. And they're like, if you let it bite you, you're hired. <laughs> I'm like, what? So, um, uh, you know, it, it bit me on my arm. and I didn't really know what to expect. And I was fascinated by like this perfect V shaped jaw marks that it left in my arm. And I was like, that's freaking cool. And uh, so every day at work, you know, I'd pick a different little lizard and let it bite me and start comparing. I'm like, oh, okay, the monitor lizards, they bleed. The geckos, they have a crushing power. And this was just something that's actually not dangerous at all. It, w- it was just a curiosity thing. But looking on back on it now, I kind of realized, oh, this has always uh, been in me. This is always, this is something, this is just, a, I guess, a morbid fascination of like, okay, this animal's got jaws. What can it do? Uh, and whatever you think ahead of time is not always correct, you know?
2: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it sounds like, like, so as a kid, you kind of learn that, like, these bites and stings aren't that big a deal like they probably hurt but they're they're not you know
3: life-altering they're not but i think that was just luck (laughs) because i guess i got older things got more serious oh yeah tell me tell me about that oh yeah um i think in 2007 uh a friend of mine's girlfriend's like hey i've got an extra ticket to hawaii and I was thinking we should probably bring you because I think you're just going to catch all the cool animals. I think you're going to just make the trip so much more fun. And I was like, you know what? You, you bring me, I'll even let everything bite me. <laughs> and uh, and uh, so that's kind of how I got known as, as the bite guy a little bit. And, you know, we went there and I caught an invasive Jackson's chameleon and, oh, what else? Uh, some crabs. And then I caught uh, by hand a, a baby a hammerhead shark. And then I looked at it, you know, took a couple pictures, you know, put it back. I was putting it back in the ocean, and my buddy's like, hey, bud, you said everything. <laughs> and I was like, um, I was like you're, you're, you're pushing it too far. But I knew that a shark that small actually couldn't really do any damage. So it's kind of cool to prove that, that you know, what you think could cause damage might always not do it. And uh, yeah, it bit me on the arm, and all I wanted to do was get away. Sharks aren't bloodthirsty killers, you know. But yeah. – um, yeah, go- going on... Anyway, I got a job as a professional animal handler uh, about 2008 and worked on a lot of shows. And that's when the biting stopped because now uh, I'm doing this as a job. This is not... You don't, you don't mess around, you know? Uh, yeah. I took it quite seriously. Did the animals get more dangerous at that point? Oh, yeah, yeah. I was working on this one show. We had cobras. We had ferdy lance, uh, which is a viper that you know just destroys flesh. Um, we had... Uh, I'm not a fan of spiders and we had this big box of 60 spiders, all in these little deli cups. And then, and that was like the box of, uh, death to me. I I hate spiders, but there's one in there called the Brazilian wandering spider. I don't know. Have you ever heard of this one? AKA the banana spider? It rings a bell, Yeah. Well, it's made the news a few times. It's shown up in shipments of bananas in the United States in in grocery stores and stuff. So Mm -hmm. it freaks people out, but it's also extremely toxic. And um, how am I going to say this on the radio? It's a podcast, so you can say whatever you want. It's a podcast. Okay. So basically when this thing bites you, it can cause a huge uh, nitric oxide dump, same as Viagra does. And so you you get hard on a level that you've never done before, but it can be so drastic that you lose the ability to get an erection ever again. Oh, wow. And obviously that scared me as a 20-something-year-old man. <laughs> so uh, um, uh, I had we had a, a big table that we built a fake habitat on to get real close-up shots of it. And my job was to lay underneath this table while we spun – a high-speed camera at a high rate of speed above the table to get 360 shots. And my job was to lay underneath the table, and the spider jumped off. I had to catch it before it ran away. And uh, I don't think I've ever been so scared in my life. Um, The consequences of that, you can imagine. (laughs) So it's not like Caveman is some sort of caveman, totally ignorant about what he's doing
2: and how it could harm him for life. He's been bit and stung a lot, most notably by two stingrays and a rattlesnake which nearly killed him. He did some bite videos and put them on YouTube, and the obvious next step was a TV show. But it wasn't an easy concept
3: for networks to give the green light. Um, I pitched it to a couple places, to of networks, and they pretty much told me to get out of their office because <laughs> it's so dangerous. Mm-hmm. Uh, but history did something incredible. They found uh, the most amazing medics um, pretty much that we have in the United States, which are Dr. Ben Abo and... Uh, and Jason Rivera from Venom 1 and Venom 2 in Miami. These are fire department Venom units that take care of people across the state and even across the country with the most serious uh, snake bites and things like that. So these guys know Venom, they know animals. And uh, so history got these guys on board to do a pain index similar to the one that Justin Schmidt had done. And Justin Smith was an entomologist who, as far back as the 80s, I remember hearing about this guy as a kid. Mm-hmm. This guy got bitten and stung by hundreds of different species of, of animals, and he put about 78 of them on the pain index that he created, which was a 1 to a 4. And just for you and I to relate, like a little sweat bee that doesn't cause much pain would be a 1. The honey bee is a 2. And then things like the bullet ant, which is legendary, is a 4 or a 4+. plus. And then history thought, well, hey... <laughs> you know this is all bites and stings this is not just i mean this is all it's all insects that smith did there's a lot of other things out there like lionfish and, and lizards and snakes and why is there no pain index for that and so when i heard about this i was like hell yeah sign me up i'm <laughs> in <mean>, um <laughs> even after a rattlesnake bite well here's the thing there there's the other the other half of me like wishing that this this would have happened back in my 20s you know i'm 38 now um I see the world very differently. I've survived a lot of close calls throughout life. Um, so there was a lot of... Th- there was uh, excitement for the show that I'd wanted to do for a long time, but there's also a sense of serious uh, risk that I felt because I have had a lot of close calls. Um, yeah. But I just felt like if someone else did it, I'd be pissed off, man. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it felt like my, my thing. and yeah. uh, And then Adam... Uh, Adam, at first, was like, he didn't want to do the show, and Adam's my co-host now, but when he found out the reason we were doing it and the fact that we're actually doing something for science and building a pain index, he was on board as well. Gotcha,
2: and t- t- as far as the pain index goes, I mean, what is that used for? Like, why does the world need to know the differences between the intensities of of
3: various creatures? Well, we're hoping to do two things with this. Um, first off, we just want to get people's attention for wildlife. Um, you know, there's a lot of wildlife shows out there, but we wanted to get something that really grasped people's attention. And so we're hoping if you see, Oh, this animal's a, a 25 on the pain index out of 30, maybe we should leave that thing alone. <laughs> you know, maybe we uh-huh. shouldn't go poke it with a stick or, or try to kill it. And also, uh, in my experiences with, you know, being bitten by a rattlesnake and things like that. Um, not panicking was sort of the key to not making the situation worse. And we're hoping that people see us get bitten. They can look up uh, what happened to us. Maybe that'll give people a sense of comfort uh, if they're bitten by something accidentally. Um, We just, we just want to create a guide for people to know what to expect if they encounter one of these animals.
2: Mm. Like, like if, if something hurts really, really bad, you know, your life might not be in danger you don't need that $5,000 helicopter ride out of there versus something where it's like, oh yeah, like you need absolutely the maximum level of medical attention that you can get right away. Is that kind of what you're saying? Uh,
3: that, that wasn't the key. We were kind of hoping people definitely go for medical attention right away, no matter what, <laughs> because uh, even if something harmless as harmless as a honeybee, which is just, you know, really low on our index, you could be allergic to it. So if you, if you're bitten or stung, 100% just go to the hospital. You know, hang out in the parking lot. If you don't want to if you don't have insurance and see how you're doing, you know, but go gotcha. get medical treatment. Um but yeah, we just I grew up in Oklahoma and what people told me growing up if you get bitten by a rattlesnake, you cut X's on it and try to suck out the venom. I'm I'm sure you've heard of that and things sure. like that too. Um I hope people nowadays aren't aren't that dumb, but you never know, man. And uh so we're hoping people don't panic and start cutting themselves or, or, or smash an animal over the head and trying to bring it in for identification. Um, we just want people to be a little more armed, uh, for when they're out in the, in the wild. And tell me a little bit about like, just the, just so I have you kind of explaining
2: it, like the format and the idea of the show. Um, like how does an episode work?
3: Yeah. Um, well, what you won't see, there's a lot of really cool behind the scenes stuff going on before we even get out in the field. Uh, Adam and I put our heads together. We put a list of animals that we can get bitten or stung by. And it's a very weird list to make because we want something that's going to hurt, but we don't want something that's going to cause long-term damage. So something like a great white shark, that's not going to be on the list. Mm -hmm. Um, And something like a little gecko or something, it's not going to be on the list because it's not a big deal. Um, We're looking for that weird, painful gray area in the middle um, that. The most confusion is, is is about because we all know that a great white shark could kill you if it bites you. We all know what to do, um, but something like a, a giant Asian centipede um, is scary, but is it really deadly? A lot of people think you're going to die. A lot of people think it's nothing. We want to figure out, okay, well, how bad is it really? What do you need to do? How long are you going to be hurt? Um, but we have to we we take a risk because every bite happens sort of on a spectrum. You know, like you ever have like a. Like a, a jalapeno or something, and they're all kind of like around the five or something, and all of a sudden you get like a super hot one. Mm. It's the same thing with, with these bites and stings. Once that's done, uh, we run it by the network, make sure that everything's approved. Um, we get out in the field and we start looking for these things. And uh, the first place we went was Bolivia, and just crazy thick, virgin primary rainforest full of wildlife, and we're looking for the giant bird-eating tarantula. And uh, we talk to locals and get information. It takes days sometimes to really get these things. Uh, and then we'll catch a couple and take them back to a controlled environment, and we'll get bitten or stung. And we take turns doing it. It's, it that's the scariest part. Once you have this animal in hand, it's like, you know, <laughs> we're about to, like, let this thing bite us. And you're staring at it. Sometimes you can see the animal's weapons, like with the tarantula, they got these huge, basically, fangs, and you're staring at them, <laughs> waiting to get bitten. It's pretty freaky.
2: It's a squirm-on-the-couch, eat your kitchen kind of show. And in true reality TV fashion, you really notice when they're doing that thing where they drag out the really crucial moments right before the sting, and then cut
0: to commercial. Okay,
2: come on. Yeah, he's ready to go. At the top of the
0: episode, We heard about Avocado Green Mattress and how they're sustainably built and 100% organic. One thing we didn't mention is that they ship directly to your door in a box half the size of the mattress. And actually, according to company co-founder Mark Abrils, this isn't something they tend to talk about.
1: Yeah, you know, it's it's a funny thing because we actually did not consciously try to create the best or, you know, the ideal mattress in a box. In fact, I don't think anywhere on our website or any of our materials where you see anything about a box. We don't show pictures of it. We don't talk about it. That's really not the whole point. Um, We just make a great mattress. It's actually handmade in Los Angeles. I mean, we tufted it with needles to keep all the layers together so we don't have to use glues. It's sewn along the edges. There's a lot of handwork and detail on it that's pretty obvious. And uh, at the end, we do deliver it in a box, but that's not what we're all about. So we, we're we more about the reason for our product um, and, and, and making something that will you know, last a long time rather than it's quick and, and, and comes in a box and isn't that amazing. To us, that's just kind of a given.
0: One more thing you should know about Avocado Green Mattress. The company recently earned a climate-neutral certification, which means they completely offset their carbon footprint, including shipping to your door. So you're not just going to sleep soundly because of how comfortable the mattress is. Visit avocadogreenmattress.com to learn more. And to save $175 on any mattress, use the code OUTSIDE175 at checkout. That's OUTSIDE175. So before our commercial break, we
2: were just noticing how the show drags out those moments right before the bite. Makes you really
3: feel the anticipation.
1: Bite me. Just bite me already. Get off my arm.
3: Yeah, I actually like that the show sort of drags out the pre-bite and pre sting Because, you know, while the viewer gets a few seconds or minutes of that, we've been dealing with this for months or even years. Um, Like we did the piranha. You know, we all saw cartoons growing up of people going in the water and coming out as skeletons and just falling apart. (laughs) Or, or, uh, you know, I used to like history growing up, and I'd read about Teddy Roosevelt, and he would go to the Amazon, and these things would strip cows down to the bone. Uh, So they're scary animals. And then next thing, we're doing research on them for a couple months, and then we're thinking about a whole plane ride over there. And, uh, And then we're out looking for them, and we just have so much time to think about how this you know could go wrong. And are we gonna lose a chunk of our arm? Are these things going to strip us to the bone? We just don't know what's gonna happen. So the anticipation on this is it's just off the charts, man. It's just by the time you get bitten and stung, you have a you've pictured the worst case scenario over and over.
2: Yeah. Yeah. So how I mean how do they keep you safe? Um like how controlled of an environment is this?
3: You know, we went to great lengths to make this controlled, but there's only so much you can do. I mean, we're getting bitten and stung by some of the worst animals on the planet to get bitten and stung by. Um, but we have a great medical team. We have, uh, you know, Venom 1 or Venom 2 on site. We have a medical plan. We have evacuation plans. We have a helicopter on standby sometimes. We've done so much research on these animals. Uh, not just Adam and I ourself, but we call biologists, we talk to doctors. We do everything humanly possible to make this go as safely as possible. But at the end of the day, like, it's a wild animal. We're in the middle of nowhere, and we can only make it so safe. And we don't want to bring these animals back to the States or anywhere to do a bite near a hospital because we feel like the bite or sting might not be as potent. You know, if the animal's tired, away from his home... You know, out of its environment, is it really going to be a natural bite or sting? We just feel like it's better right there where it lives. And we can also return it, you know, back to its home immediately. So
2: safety is relative. In the first episode, Adam Thorne's blood pressure drops dangerously low after the first sting. And suddenly, not just the medic, but a whole safety crew is on camera. Venom, especially repeated exposures to venom, can give people allergic reactions they've never had before. So no matter how many medics and helicopters you have on standby... You just don't
3: really ever know how a particular individual is going to respond to a particular animal. And to give you a really good example, um, the reticulated python we did in the final episode. Uh, Adam and I have been bitten by a lot of pythons throughout our careers. It's not a big deal. It's usually just a little nip saying stay away. It bleeds a little bit. It's not a problem. Uh, The way people really get injured by pythons is... uh, obviously they're they're scared that this big thing's going to bite them so they pull away and you know the teeth in a python typically uh, typically curve backwards a little bit so you're pulling against that when you pull away and you're making you're making what would have been puncture wounds uh, tears and cuts and that's that's where the real damage uh, happens but yeah. also sometimes a snake has a mind of its own sometimes it'll twist and it will shred you open if it does that and uh, that's what happened to Adam. If you're watching the video, he doesn't pull away. He does everything correctly. But the snake readjusts its jaws. It starts twisting. And next thing you know, once once we wipe the blood away, you see meat, you see fatty tissue. I mean, it's, it's horrible. Um, yeah. And then I went up next. And um, we're thinking, okay, this is a python bite. That's about as bad as they get. It'd be kind of cool to show people that... You know, even if you're bitten by a python, it's not going to be a big deal unless you're extremely unlucky, uh, extremely unlucky. But when I came up, just out of horribly bad luck, the thing punctured my ulnar nerve. And so, yeah, and I I knew it immediately. I felt like I had, had, you know, touched a, a live wire. It was unreal the amount of sensation that came through that nerve when that thing hit me. And I just collapsed on the table because I knew... Um, either hit a nerve or maybe hit an artery, and that's what it feels like when you have no you know, profusion to the area. I didn't know. But I knew if I moved, I was going to make it worse and, and tear it worse. And so I just collapsed on the table. The medical team came in. They got the python off me, and um, you know, I'm still dealing still dealing with injury. It's a dangerous job. Uh, but that's a freak accident. And I think most of the time we know how to be safe and we know how to do this as controlled as possible. Um, And most of the animals we deal with aren't going to be animals with huge teeth like that that can cause trauma to nerves and and things like that. We want to do defensive venoms. And defensive venoms is where the real bread and butter kings of pain is. Um, Mm -hmm. Defensive venoms aren't always honest venoms. Uh, They mimic pain. It feels like your arm's falling off, but you're fine. And that's what you get in a lot of uh, things like lionfish or or sea urchins or a lot of the wasps and bees. It feels like you have a huge injury, but really you're fine. And uh, that's where the bread and butter of Kings of Pain is going to be because that's where the variation happens. That's where you get all these weird effects. Um, That's where you have pain that lasts for seconds or or days. And that's what we want to explore. It's really fascinating to see um, how one animal to the next uh, can affect your body so much differently.
2: Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, Justin Schmidt wrote that like the psychological aspect of pain is the actual defense mechanism. Like the the creature is teaching the predator that it's not worth messing with by by causing this pain. Um, yeah, and I'm I'm curious. Like, so as someone who is experiencing this over and over and over. Does that experience change over time? Like, does your experience of pain evolve, for lack of a better word?
3: I think on some level it will. And uh, I think the, a great example of that is we gave the honeybee a 3 out of 30 on the pain index. Hmm. Uh, it just wasn't a big deal. But I think the reason for that, I think, I think if it was our first time being stung by a honeybee, we probably would have given it something a little bit higher, probably a 7 I really feel like an an animal that you've been stung by a lot, and obviously just going throughout life looking for snakes in the wild, you get stung by bees all the time. Mm -hmm. And I think there is an element of getting used to it, and uh, that affects the way you actually feel pain. Um, I think fear can actually increase it, and I think familiarity can actually decrease the pain. That being said, we have the opposite effect on a lot of these animals too. Because we're going through pain so often, that is fresh in our mind. And so we're, we're not getting used to it. We had a very recent reminder that, Hey, last week you got stung by this wasp and it freaking hurt. And now you're about to get stung again. And I think because we're doing so many back to back, it stays so fresh in our mind that we're still getting a pretty honest assessment of the pain. Mm. And, um, that, that was, that was a cool thing that we didn't really expect. We're like, are we just going to get used to it where it's not a big deal anymore? And, I didn't see that I think because we're just getting hit over and over and over so we're we're not allowed to forget how bad the pain is
2: yeah yeah have have you experienced that before like i mean I've had injuries and you know a year later I can't really remember
3: what the pain
2: felt like does that happen to you as well
3: yeah one hundred percent you you forget over over time and mm. um that's why we really like making this index because we write down everything that happens and then we can go back and look at it later. I'm like, Oh yeah, I forgot that was four hours of pain. And then, uh, and then that it, you know, moved around my arm and didn't stay in one place. And that's, what's really cool about this pain index. Uh, we can look back on it and see everything that, that happened to us. And the other good thing is we're doing several, uh, bites and stings per episode and we're going back to back to back. Uh, and that just keeps it fresh in our mind. And, that way we can compare them to each other a lot better. It, it's it's worked way better than we thought, actually. Like this this scale is like, okay, like we're building a big picture. And I think the longer we do this pain index, the more accurate it's going to be. Gotcha.
2: How, how long do you get between uh, episodes? Like how long do you get to recover?
3: Um, a lot of times we'll knock out two episodes in three weeks. So our bodies are trashed by the end of that. I mean, just absolutely trashed. Uh, we try to space out the bites and stings cause we don't want one bite or sting interfering with, uh, the one before or the one next. So we space it out the best we can, but we have limited time in countries. We, we don't always find the animal that we're looking for right away. Uh, schedules change and sometimes it gets pretty hectic. They're like, Hey, you got to get stung by this. And then hopefully tomorrow you're good because you got to get stung by something else. It's like, it's like any other job, man, things go wrong and there's crunch times and, uh, And you just got to get it done. And then uh, we were going to have two weeks of break in between shooting, but uh, the schedule got uh, messed uh, messed up a little bit. So then we had one week of of recovery. And I think you can tell by the final episode that we're just exhausted. You You need at least two or three weeks to recover.
2: Okay, so I should say I came into this interview very interested in what it's like to shoot a TV show where you're repeatedly asked to suffer and not that interested in the science. I figured they were going to be doing research the way Bill Nye is a science guy. For fun and entertainment. Maybe you'll learn something. But for obvious reasons, there's not a lot of comparative science being done on this topic. And so they have real questions.
3: Well, one of the things we we were trying to figure out about why some bison stings are different than others. um, If you look in Schmidt's book, he goes into a lot of detail about that. As far as social animals have more to protect, so they typically have a, a worse sting. So an ant, or, or sorry, like a honeybee would be the perfect example. It has young, and it also has honey to defend. So it's got a decent sting, but there's also a lot of them uh, ready to sting. Um, what Schmidt didn't really figure out, or at least I couldn't figure it out by reading his book, was why something like a tarantula hawk would have such a terrible sting because they don't have nests or hives, they, have, they dig burrows or even use a tarantula's own burrow and lay an egg on, on the tarantula. So that's not a huge investment uh, in offspring, so there's no reason for it to defend uh, the young. So he doesn't really know why that hurts so bad. Uh, but what we encountered was the weird things like related species, some could have a much worse sting than others. Um, different populations of the same species could, could have more potency. Uh, who knows? Like when's the last time the animal ate? How healthy is it? Did it sting something recently? Is it low on venom? Is it cold? Is it hot? Does it not feel that threatened because it's away from a nest? And then there's us as well. Do we get enough sleep? Uh, are we hungry? Are we tired? Uh, what would happen if the thing stung, you know, a millimeter over? Would it, would have been different? Uh, amount of pain. There's just so many variables. Uh, and the best thing we can do to sort of counteract that is both of us always get stung because everyone reacts differently. And when possible, we both get stung by different animals or by, by different animals of the same species. Because mm-hmm. if, if, say, I went first and got the full load of venom and then an Adam got the scraps from the second sting, it's just not going to be accurate at all. So we're we're doing everything we can to make this makes sense, but there's so many variables. This this has turned into probably the hardest thing I've ever done in my life because we're trying to make sense of something uh, that is a wild phenomenon that people have been trying to understand forever, you know, and uh, we're just scratching the surface.
2: Yeah, I mean, it really sounds like you need
3: more participants in your show. <laughs> yeah. Right? Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, you know, if we, if we could do 100 people per sting, um, I think – we would have an amazing pain index because we could average it across 100 people. Um, but that's just not possible. And we yeah, would probably die. <laughs> you know? That's the difference between TV and science, I guess. It is, it is. Uh, uh, but the benefit of having it on TV instead of a big study you know, with 100, 100 people is that this will reach a lot more people. And so we're trying to get it as accurately uh, documented as we can and reach so many people and i just feel like you know with you know i've been stung by stingrays twice and the second time i was stung even though i was you know, i felt the pit of my stomach worse because i knew the pain that was coming but i also felt a lot more calm because i've been through it before and i think if i had just seen someone on tv stung by a stingray and had them talk through it that would have been a comfort to me my first time so we're hoping to just even just help one person that way, that would be amazing. I, I would be so happy just with that.
2: I mean, for the show to keep going, the, the standard TV model is that the bites have to keep getting bigger and scarier. How do you, like, does that worry you? And how, how do you do that?
3: <laughs> That's a damn good question, man. <laughs> um, yeah, because <laughs> the thing is, we went pretty hard in season one. And we, uh, we did animals that there's no way in hell I would do today just because of how crazy it went. Um, mm. I can't imagine doing another Big Python. Certainly not on my arms. Um, so we might have to come up with new strategies, um, different places to get bitten. Uh, it, it's still fascinating for Adam and I because we're seeing how every bite is different. But to keep people hooked, I hope uh, <laughs> I hope we don't have to take it too far. Uh, I want to keep doing this for a long time. And all it takes is one bad bite or sting to ruin, you know, just in the entire project. Yeah. And, um, I I promise people are going to love it. They're going to see us in a lot of pain, no matter what. So if you like us, you'll love the show. And if you hate us, you're still going to love the show because we're in pain no matter what. So,
2: yeah. Yeah. Does this, does this show feel like a little bit, I don't know, like a deal with the devil, like you're on TV on this cool show with this cool project, but your job is to suffer.
3: Yeah, it definitely feels like we're giving people the bloodlust that, <laughs> that they want. But for me, um, I think if I was looking for a different type of TV show and I ended up on this one, yeah, I would have felt like it was a deal with the devil. But I've wanted this for a long time. This, this is the most fascinating television show idea that I've, I've ever heard about. And there's just something about almost like being a pioneer, you know, just for me personally, just going into unknown territory and we live in a time when that's very difficult and so we're the first to step into a lot of these bites and stings yeah you know, I, I think if uh even if there's no tv show if i had a medical team i'd probably do some of the bites and stings still like I'm, I'm hooked man i'm just i'm just hooked on it but there's also that fear like hey are you going to take it too far because you are on tv are you going to push it a little too far and uh yeah i hope we just I hope we don't do that. I just want to keep doing this for as long as possible. Oh, things are are out. Things are out.
2: That's caveman Rob Oliva talking with me from Los Angeles. This episode was produced by me, Peter Frickret, and Robbie Carver, with help from Michael Roberts. The Outside Podcast is brought to you by Avocado, organic, natural, non-toxic mattresses. The Outside Podcast is a production of Outside Integrated Media and distributed by PRX. We'll be back next week.